Welcome to Simple Reflections of Christianity Podcast, and this is Studies in the Psalms Christ and His Church in the Book of Psalms by Andrew Bonar. This work is in the public domain and available online. <laughs> Studies in the Psalms Psalm 15 15 colon title A Psalm of David One Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? To he that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness. And speaketh the truth in his heart. Three he that backbiteth not with his tongue. Nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. For in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. Five he that putteth not out his money to usury. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Psalm 15 1-5 We heard of a righteous generation in last psalm, and here is one of them as a representative of the whole. None can be said to have fulfilled the conditions, or come up to the character here sketched, except in Christ, if we view the matter in its strictness, although every member of his body lays claim to his imputed obedience, and exhibits a goodly specimen of the effect of this imputation in producing personal holiness. We consider this psalm as descriptive of our head in his personal holiness, and of his members as made holy by him. It is one thing to state how holiness is attained, and quite another to assert that perfect holiness is possessed. When you describe a worshipper in the holy hill as one who is holy, you do not on that account maintain that his holiness was self-derived, or that it was his primary qualification. Far less do you assert that holiness of character stands in the place of the blood that cleanses the conscience. There are several links in the golden chain, and my pointing to one of these does in no way interfere with my conviction of the necessity of the rest. If I find it said of our Lord. It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? I may take up one feature of this Redeemer, and may say, He who saves us is one who is risen again, but by so saying I do not deny, but rather necessarily include, the assertion, that he died first of all. So also if I say, he who is saved is one who has holiness, I do not, by saying this, deny that the man has first of all been made clean by the blood, on the contrary, I imply that is a thing of course, necessarily preceding the other. Again, if I say, that priest has washed his hands and feet in the laver, I do not deny, but, on the contrary, necessarily imply that first of all he was at the altar, and touched the blood there. Or, once more, if I read 1 Tim. 1 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart. And out of a good conscience. And out of faith unfeigned. I may fix on the middle clause and say, the love, or charity, aimed at by the law, is the product of a good conscience. But do I, on account of that statement, at all deny that faith unfeigned? is needful in order to arrive at a good conscience? It is even thus with our psalm, when received as stating what belongs to the members of Christ. It tells of their pure heart, but then that pure heart came from a good conscience, and that good conscience was the effect of unfeigned faith in the blood. It is, however, only our head that can fully realize the character here given. Holiness to the Lord is on our high priest's mitre, while we, as inferior priests, go forward in his steps, to dwell in the tabernacle. The question is asked, there. 1. Who shall dwell? Abide, be a guest forever, in the palace of our King and God? Verse 2 tells the outward purity required, and the inward guilelessness. 
Verse 3, the purity of word. Verse 4, company. Verse 5, disinterested and self-denied love to his neighbors, there. 5, uprightness. If he once promise he will not exchange his promise for anything more convenient to himself, and will not fail to show the heart of a brother in everyday transactions. These are signs of a renewed nature, very rare in our world, and such as manifest the man to be, though in the world, yet not of the world. In verse 4, we have the key to the difference between such a one and the man of earth. He honoreth them that fear the Lord, his heart lies in the company of those who fear Jehovah, and if so, then he himself prefers Jehovah's company to all besides. He is one who has fellowship with God. But we must not fail to notice the tabernacle and the holy hill, where this man's dwelling shall be forever. The tabernacle of Moses, which, in David's days, was pitched on the slopes of Zion Hill, is the type of greater things. In that figure we see God in the cloud of glory over the mercy seat, dwelling with men, and the priest entering in on the atonement day, to his presence. All this was typical of what is now before us in clearer light. The redeemed go in with the blood of the Redeemer through the rent veil, for the atonement day is now, to him who is in heaven. And when the Lord returns, and the tabernacle of God is with men, when Christ, the true mercy seat, is here, then shall we go to that tabernacle and see him, on that holy hill, where his presence shall be manifested. See this more at large in Psalm 24, but on that day none shall ascend that hill, or approach that tabernacle, who are not sanctified. On this point Revelation 21-27 corresponds with our psalm, Into New Jerusalem there shall in no wise enter anything that defileth or maketh a lie. Over its gate is written, Without holiness no man shall see God. Here, then, we have before us a description of the dweller in the holy hill of God. Oh, <laughs>